Squad Vancouver. Pre-game, post-game, every game presented by Bodog from sports odds to free casino games. Make a play at Bodog.net. Wadden and J-Pat here with you to wrap up the NHL draft as the Canucks have made all their picks, J-Pat, and they literally made all their picks. They made all seven of them. Four defensemen in the system, three new forwards. What stood out to you? On day two of the draft. Yeah, the fact that they just used their picks as stacked, essentially. They went to Nashville with seven picks. We thought, would they add some? Would they package a couple and try and move up in the draft? Nope, none of that happened. They sat there, and when it was their turn, they flipped on the microphone and made their pick. And clearly, uh, they had a mandate to bulk up on defensemen, particularly right-side guys, three of the four blue liners that they select, shoot right-handed. So, you know, that's good. That's good for the pipeline, whether these are all good players, that's going to be fleshed out in the years to come. It, it's too soon. For most people, these are just names at this point. Uh, yeah, some of the hardcores, you know, maybe have done their, their homework and, and brushed up. But, you know, we saw the volatility on night one that even the people that do this for a living, you know, it's still a scattershot and you're throwing darts at a dartboard. And so the deeper you get into the draft, even more of that. But when the organizational need was help on the back end, I guess it makes sense, at the very least, that the Canucks tried to identify that. Uh, we said it last night, nothing's changed with a night of sleep. I still like the Tom Willander pick. I, yeah, maybe a little bit of a reach, but still, I, I just think for this team, uh, where they are. So that kind of set the baseline for the draft, that they went with a right shot defenseman on night one, and then they picked up where they left off heading into day two. They didn't have a second rounder. We thought maybe there would be an opportunity for them to try to trade up into the second round. You know, over One of my overarching takeaways from this draft was how little trade activity there truly was uh, in and around the draft, on the draft floor. There were some of those trades we always see where teams will you know, trade back in the draft that a team sees somebody on the board that they, they don't want to slip by, so they make one of those... Uh, you know, we'll flip fourth round picks and give you a fifth rounder or something like that. Uh, there were a couple of those, but the Canucks opted not to get involved. So the Canucks knew they had six picks starting into day two and they used them. And I would say of the players that they took, uh, Hunter Brustavich, and we're all going to have to work hard to nail down the true pronunciation, uh, but our man Hunter, uh, I, I like the look of that pick. I, you know, I watched a little bit of video on him now, uh, have done some reading here. You know, nearly a point-a-game guy uh, in the Ontario Hockey League, one of the top scoring defensemen in the Ontario Hockey League, right-shot guy, mobile. Uh, you know, we always talk about sort of the modern-day profiling, like the modern-day defenseman that can transition the puck. Uh, I, I like a fair bit there. Like, I, I think that looks promising for a third-round pick, 75th overall. After that, I just think it was a bunch of swings by the Vancouver Canucks couch, co- uh, scouting staff. And really, outside of this sort of idea that, yes, they wanted more defensemen, it's kind of hard to draw a through line to their entire overall work and their body of work at this draft. Like, you know, college guys, Europeans, tall, short, skinny, light, heavy. Like, you know, they, I don't know. It just kind of felt like they were flinging things at the wall here. And after Bustavich, for me, it just kind of feels like uh, some hope bets, and ultimately, time will tell how all that pays off. Yeah, I reached out to our buddy uh, J.D. Burke from Elite Prospects uh, to give uh, his analysis on the draft. He wasn't a fan entirely of the draft by the Canucks, but he did reference Willander and Brustavich saying that, uh, well, with Brustavich, he said, flat out, good player, uh, a good pick, like the player, profiles as a modern offensive defenseman, can move the puck well in transition and from the blue line. So they, they like that. And again, the rest of the draft is kind of a bit of a crapshoot overall for most teams at that point. 
Um, although some teams have been better than others in finding uh, diamonds in the rough. When you talk about pronunciation, are we getting Willander's wrong name wrong as well? Because I've heard Vlander. Well, like the tennis player Max Vlander, uh, all those years ago, uh, it's possible. But I don't know. Like he sort of, we said we established he sort of sounded like a North American guy. Maybe we've Anglo uh, Angloed his his last name already. Uh, whatever the case, I'm going with Willander right now. But uh, if it becomes Vlander, uh, I'll be on board there. Uh, Brustevich again, I think is uh, how we pronounce Hunter. Uh, his last name, and Sawyer Minio was the other third-round pick that the Canucks had. He goes 12, 14 picks after Brustavich. Now, Kamloops guy, so right there in my books, we're all right with that. Played for the Seattle Thunderbirds, who were the Western Hockey League champs, and just an absolute wagon, and got to the Memorial Cup. And I do think he was a product of a, a really good environment. He was plus 50 on the season in the Western Hockey League. Like, um uh, you know, so again, this Seattle team outscored its opponents at will, and the stats, you know, show it. Um, he's a left shot guy, so he doesn't fit the mold of the others that they picked that play defense. But uh, you know, there were some that thought, like, you know, not no great characteristics there. There's nothing that really truly sets him apart, uh, other than he, you know, he held his own on a blue line on a really good team, and so it's a question of. You know, is he a product of the environment? Was he a contributing factor to making that team as good as it was? And I don't want to take anything away from the guy, uh, but he's a third-round pick, 89th overall for a reason. So, uh, you know, you put them in the long shot. Ch- to me, you're finding elite talent in the top two rounds, and then anything after that, you know, these are hope bets. And the deeper you go, uh, the longer the odds, obviously. But, uh, you know, the Canucks clearly saw something in there. Hey, we knocked them for... You know, staying away from the Western Hockey League. They really haven't in the last decade done a lot of drafting out of the Western Hockey League. Cole Lynn, Jet Wu come to mind. Oh yeah, Jake Vertanen, I suppose. Um, But uh, look, they go down the I-5. Not quite their backyard with the Vancouver Giants or the Victoria Royals, but they do take a team in the Pacific Northwest. The Seattle Thunderbirds and a really good team at that. So Sawyer Minio uh, was their second pick on day two, 89th overall. Uh, in that third round. Yeah, you like that he's a Kamloops boy? I like that we share a birthday, me and Minnie Al. So there, <laughs> there you go. go. I'm about 30 years old. That was such a big out. thing. And when I was a kid, that was such a big deal going through like all the hockey cards and finding a guy that had like my birthday. That was like <laughs> massive. And that's how you had to do it. Like, unless you had like, you know, magazines or whatever. Now there's this internet thing that can yeah. pretty quickly tell you where their birthdays are. But uh, back in the day, it was the back of the hockey card. You talk about memorizing birthdays as well. Like back in the day with the hockey card, I could rattle off everyone's stats because you just stared at those cards all the time and, and you just absorbed all the information on there. So ah, oh, back to the good old days before the internet, of yeah. course. Uh, with Woodlander, um, I'm curious to why... You know, you perhaps you think some people think it's a stretch because I know that a lot of people had him slotted around 11. I know that sort of 10 to 20 or 10, you know, it was a a bit of a mixed bag there. But curious to why you, uh, you say that, because to me, I, I thought that was the right pick, the right player for the Canucks at 11. Well, and I said it yesterday and I predicted that would be the guy. And then I wrote that he was the right guy. I just think there was probably a world where they could have traded back a couple of spots and still got him okay, and and realized some sort of asset in the process. Of course, the fact that Zach Benson, a Chilliwack kid, a local guy, ends up going two picks later, they're always going to be compared. That is going to, it's just the way it goes. Now, just because he's local, we established last night, like, you know, this year, they needed centermen and defensemen, and, and he was a winger. And so I just think for a lot of reasons there, 
Uh, you know, I saw a lot of people saying like, oh, it wasn't just Zach Benson. It was Matthew Wood, the kid from Nanaimo, who went to 15th overall to Nashville, and even Oliver Moore. And I like Oliver Moore. I mean, you know, suggested to be the best pure skater in this draft. I think Chicago made out like bandits getting Bedard and Moore. But Oliver Moore went 19th. Like, there were a lot of teams that passed on him. So to sit there and think that, oh, the Canucks should have taken him at 11, that to me feels like it would have been a reach just because he dropped all the way to 19th. So again, I like the Pickle Lander. I think it meets the needs. I, I When I heard the kids speak, I was blown away just how uh, mature and poised and calm and all that kind of stuff. Like, he seems just really intelligent and driven. So again, I, I like the pick. I do wonder, though, you know, and we know that the Canucks picked up the phone when Buffalo called. I think they're... You know, with some interest there, perhaps, in the Sabres moving up. But whatever, the Sabres are pretty happy that they got Zach Benson. And, and for Zach Benson, like, what an environment to go into Buffalo where, you know, all they do is score goals, right? Like, you know, they have to hope that they can find the goaltender that can, you know, stabilize things. And they think they got him in Devin Levi and then that back end, two first overall picks in the last bunch of years that will continue to grow. But, there is, like, what an environment for a scoring winger to go into in Buffalo uh, and, you know, it's not going to happen for him next year. I don't think he makes the Sabres out of camp this year, but he profiles to be, you know, a gifted offensive guy on a team that has a ton of offensive weapons. So I think a pretty good landing spot for Zach Benson, but I think uh, Canucks did well with Tom Melander, 11th overall. An interesting name by the Canucks, uh, their last pick of the draft in 171st overall Aiden Celebrini, and of course, we know that last name well here in Vancouver, and I think a lot of people that uh, follow the NHL draft are going to know that last name as well next year with his brother Macklin expected to go first overall, but the Canucks uh, take his brother Aiden, 171st D-man out of uh, the Alberta Junior League. Yeah, played for Brooks, the Brooks Bandits, (laughs) a team that has produced some NHLers, including Kale McCarr. Uh, This will not be. Uh, a repeat of Kale McCarr, and not the most uh, talented of the the Celebrini brothers, obviously, but uh, interesting. Just as you said, the bloodlines, Father Rick, who worked in the Canucks uh, medical department and then has uh, gone down to Golden State and worked with the Warriors there. And he, Aiden's going to Boston University, where he'll be a teammate of Tom Melander, as it turns out. So kind of the full circle moment with the first and the, and the sixth round picks for the Canucks. Um, yeah, like a guy that grew up in Vancouver, uh, probably pretty familiar with the organization just uh, being around uh, his dad and all those types of things. So we'll see where it goes. But uh, you know, when you're getting into the sixth round, you're, you know, again, these are uh, scratch and win tickets and we'll see if they yeah. if they pay off. So give me every opportunity. It's an entry point. That's all the draft really is. All these guys, it's, uh, you know, it's not where you get drafted. It's what you do with the opportunity that it provides now. So we'll see how that goes. And yeah, you know, when I look at, the second day of the draft for me, Andrew, really, Vilmer Alrickson is the guy that, that jumps out at me. I just think when I talked about the Canucks sort of, you know, going all over the map, if you're going to take a swing in the fourth round, take a swing at a six foot six, 215-pound 18-year-old. Like, you know, if he can develop, if they can work with him, you can't teach size, the old hockey adage. This guy's 18 years old and he's 6'6 already with 214 pounds. The the downside there, I suppose, is at that size. He played for Deer Gardens, uh, their junior team, over in Sweden last year. And you would just think playing against, you know, your own age group at that size. Like, you, guys just couldn't stop you. And yet, you know, he didn't put up a ton of points. Like, this is a guy that... 
you know, 12 goals and 21 points in uh, 43 games, so half a point a game at the junior level over in Sweden. So, uh, I, you know, I don't know if there's a mean streak there. I don't know much about the player, but, you know, we know Rick Tockett likes uh, his big boys and his wall work and all that kind of stuff. You know, now the Canucks can get their hands on him. Michael Samuelson uh, had a productive career as a winger in the National Hockey League. Hopefully he can work with him. Uh, but again, that's tantalizing to me at the very least when I look at some of these mid-round picks. This is a fourth-round selection. Uh, you know, there's no guarantees there. But six foot six, two hundred fifteen pounds at a remarkably young age. I don't know if he's got any more growing to do. If he does, like look out. I mean, maybe he could be uh, an absolute beast in the making there for the Vancouver Canucks. But uh, again, there are always reasons why these guys drop to the slots where they are taken. And so uh, clearly there have to be some things that are holding a big boy like Alrickson back. Well, like they said, you can't teach size, right? So when you see yep. somebody like that in a late round pick, maybe it's worth uh, the scratch and win, if you will. Uh, Ty Mueller's kind of one of those players as well that the Canucks took uh, at 105th overall. He's 20 years old already. So yeah. he's been through this process, uh, University of Nebraska, Omaha, some decent numbers there, but a center iceman. And honestly, I mean, it looks like the Canucks, you know, as we mentioned, picked for need here, uh, maybe more than anything else. Yeah, and again, I don't know a whole lot about the player here, so just kind of going off the, yeah. the stats that I've seen. And as you said, you know, that's a red flag against anybody that has gone through the draft a couple of times, but some guys take a little longer to develop. Like, you know, whatever. I mean, he's 20. He's not 28. Um, you know, <laughs> so we'll give him an opportunity if he's 28 and still playing college something. hockey and, you know, got the <laughs> family. <laughs> and insurance salesman on the side. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so... You know, the numbers don't jump off the page at you, but he his best offensive season was last year. He had 25 points in 35 games at the college level, which, you know, is not terrible, but also, you know, we're not talking about, uh, you know, a, a late push for the Hobie Baker. I mean, this guy very much feels like a depth piece that, uh, you know, you hope, I guess, best case scenario for him would be that when he turns pro, you know, a couple of seasons in the American Hockey League, and maybe at some point, if he continues to climb the developmental ladder, you know, he becomes uh, a guy that gets on the, the Vancouver Canucks radar. But he's in the system now. We'll see where it goes. But of all their picks, uh, I would say Mueller and Matthew Perkins were the ones that, again, I'm just, I'm not totally certain what the Canucks see when, you know, as this draft is unfolding, and I'm following along on Twitter with people that I respect the work that they do in this realm, you know, and they're like, here are some of the best players that are still available. You know, a name like Matthew Perkins wasn't ever on any of those lists that I saw. And where we talked about Albertson being 215 pounds already, Matthew Perkins listed at 156 pounds. There were only three lighter players in this entire draft class. He's 5'11", but he's 156 pounds. So... I'm 5'11". I'm, I'm not 156 pounds. So. <laughs> I'm not yeah. even close to that. Actually. I know. So, like, <laughs> you know, is that alarming? I don't know. He put up some decent numbers in the USHL. Uh, he's uh, committed to Minnesota Duluth. Pretty good program at the NCAA level. He's a Saskatchewan guy. They're not feeding the Saskatchewan boys on the prairies? What's going on? Like, 156 pounds. So, uh, I would suggest that he will have to bulk up here as he climbs the hockey ladder. Yeah, they're not right shots either, these guys. So interesting there. And um, NHL Central Scouting for North American skaters 
had Perkins at 165th, and he ends up going 119th overall in the draft. So you can see, you know, the scouts thought he was way down there, and obviously the Canucks have seen something different, comes through the USHL program, and as you mentioned, going to the University Minnesota Duluth. So there you have it. There are the Canucks draft picks uh, for this year. No goaltenders. Didn't take a goalie this year. No, Ian Clark usually gets to bend the year of the management group and has a guy that, uh, and we know from the past, like if Ian Clark has a guy that he wants, he's not afraid to get in there and rough it up, get the elbows up and bang the table and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, uh, it was wild to me. There were five goalies that went in the second round and none in the first round. So none on day one, but then in the second round, five goalies went. We've had this discussion on Rinkwide before, you know, about the, the future of Canadian goaltending. Only one Canadian goaltender in the first two rounds an Italian goaltender, a kid that was born in Italy and plays the position. So I think there was a, an American, a Slovakian, and and somebody else. But yeah, it's just uh, one of the crazy things about the game. And really the last decade is where have the Canadian goaltenders gone? But it's but it's it seems to be like not just a Canadian problem. Like look at it over the years. Remember when, when Finland was the hotbed? Yep. And now it seems like Russia's the hotbed. For goaltenders, like it's it's weird, but it you're is right. cyclical. Like, There's no question. Yeah, and the Quebec yeah. goaltending factory. That's but, right. But yeah. they've closed. It seems like they've closed the Quebec goaltending factory. Um, you know, Luongo and Marc Andre Fleury and a few others. But uh, uh, yeah, it's just I don't know if it's a cost thing. If it's the you know kids watching, they all want to be McDavid and McKinnon and whatever. Um, just another year goes by where. You know, through two rounds of the draft and only one Canadian goaltender, that kind of was one of the things that jumped out at me. One of the things that jumped out at me, and and again, we've made it very clear on this podcast that you and I are not prospects guys, but there are a few names that I hear about that, you know, I'm interested in. Andrew Cristal is one of them out of Burnaby. He ends up going in the second round, 40th overall, which I think might be uh, quite the pick for the Washington Capitals. Yeah, I think there's uh, some real value for them there. uh, And that was a name that, you know, wasn't selected on night number one and buddy of Connor Bedard's. And so I think people were all curious to see, like, where is uh, Cristal going to go? Uh, there were a couple because we had talked about other BC guys as well. Um, but Crystal was certainly one of the guys that, you know, I wanted to see where was he going to wind up early in round two. And as you said, uh, the Washington Capitals, uh, Cole Lind's brother, Kalen Lind, uh, he went in the second round as well. So Cole was a second round pick of the Canucks a few years ago. Kalen Lynn goes to Nashville uh, in that second round. Uh, you know, there were just, there were a few players. Lucas Dragasevic, uh, his dad coaches out in Delta. He coached the Vancouver Giants and people wonder he's a Richmond guy. Uh, he ended up going to the Seattle Kraken, played in Tri-Cities this year. So, you know, well, there were some connections there as well. And Riley Height of the Prince George Cougars, he was the, the last player taken in the second round. And this is a guy that put up massive numbers in the Western Hockey League this year. But I do wonder, they were talking about it on the broadcast, that more than half his points were on the power play. And you just wonder if that's, you know, not a red flag necessarily, but something for teams to consider as he progresses through the ranks. Like, is that repeatable? You know, he can be a power play stud, certainly. But uh, I do think that something like that had to hold him back. But ultimately, uh, Judd Brackett and the Minnesota Wild... Uh, saw enough there to make Riley Height a second-round selection uh, for uh, the Minnesota Wild. One of the things I liked about today, it moved quickly. It did, yeah. They got through the picks fast. Yeah. yeah. 
And I know they're having a bit of uh, weather issues there in Nashville. Sounds like the people weren't allowed to leave the building. You could hear the thunder actually uh, from the broadcast. (laughs) But yeah, no, I love the fact that they, yeah, it seemed like as soon as they started the picks, they just, they weren't waiting at that point. They were just hammering through them. So they came prepared, these uh, NHL scouts. And um, yeah, another draft in the books now for the Vancouver Canucks. So we'll see how they do with these seven selections that they've made. Maybe you perhaps are looking for a new car and looking for some good selection. Well, you should check out the Applewood Auto Group. And of course, we talked to them today, had a nice chat with the boys. They are the official auto group of Rinkwide Vancouver. It's all good at Applewood. Applewood Auto Group is celebrating 25 years of business, making the car business and our communities better. Applewood offers the best in-class experience, whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. some fan reaction here Jay Pack, as we asked the people what they thought of the Canucks draft and of course it's presented by our buddy Jason Hominica Jason.mortgage yeah and he could be your first round selection if uh, you're in the uh, imagine if they had a draft for mortgage brokers I'm sure he would uh, first overall yeah, there you go uh, that time of the year the end of the month uh, a lot of people you know end of uh, mid-year uh, this is when their mortgages come up and if you're in that boat uh, get on it because it's July 1st here on Saturday uh, but enlist the help of a professional like Jason Hominick, 30 years in the business. He's got the answers that you're seeking. You're not supposed to have all the answers. This is tough, complex material and subject matter. And that's where you want the advice and guidance of a professional like Jason Hominick. So if you're in that mortgage world these days, a renewal or a first-time buyer, uh, reach out. All of his information online at jason.mortgage. Again, his name is Jason Hominick. All right, we asked the fans uh, what they thought of this year's draft class. We'll start with Lance. He said, not much. Jay said they wasted like five of them. Ron, who's always so cheerful, says no action. Uh, XG says third round and down needed Judd Brackett. Eh, perhaps. Curtis says it sucks, question mark. Paul says very underwhelmed. Groovy Pimpin, this is interesting. Passing on best player available with every pick. Now, can you say that when you get deeper into the rounds? Like you got to be quite the draft expert. If you can back that up. Um, the Dutchin says more D than uh, forwards. And Greg says Canucks had no second round pick clown show. <laughs> well, they traded the second rounder. I mean, they they did have one. It, it, they didn't just like leave it at the side of the road. They 
they peddled it for Philip Ronick, and we'll see how that all plays out. But uh, I am a little surprised. I just would have thought that Patrick Elvine would have wanted to sharpen his trade chops a little bit. And I know that he's pulled off, you know, the Horvat deal and the Ronick deal. And um, not that this guy can't complete a trade. I just, I did expect, and then we asked the poll question last week, you know, that he went in with seven picks. I anticipated somewhere along the line that we would hear that, uh, you know, the commission had a trade to announce and the Canucks would be involved at, at some level. So little smallest surprise in that regard, but it also tells me that, uh, you know, they had their eye on, on what they wanted to accomplish. And in terms of improving the Canucks roster at the NHL level in the short term, you know, now all eyes clearly on free agency starting on Saturday. Well, don't tell Greg, but, uh, they don't have a second round pick next year either. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Freakwide Vancouver is presented by Bodog Sports Odds, Poker Tips, Free Casino Games, and they play today. I got an interesting Bodog line for you. <laughs> Just a moment here uh, for you. But let's set up the uh, the rest of the week here. And sort of you and I will scale back now after this weekend in terms of the amount of uh, podcasts that we're going to put out. But uh, let's, there's going to be a lot to get to this weekend. And as you mentioned earlier, it looks like the Canucks are uh, going to be uh, pretty busy in free agency. Yeah, one of the things I love about the draft, like we said, that, okay, so there weren't a lot of trades there. Uh, that doesn't mean that groundwork wasn't laid, right? Like, so teams may want to take a beat here. Uh, head for home, set up in their war room, and then circle back on some of the things that were discussed on the draft floor. So we've seen that lots of years. You know, so I don't discount the fact that uh, just because things didn't happen at Bridgestone Arena doesn't mean that they're not going to happen. But now, uh, as the draft ends on Thursday, I think teams will hustle home. Friday, qualifying offers have to, the, the buyout window, the first buyout window closes. Uh, qualifying offers have to be made. Look, time is ticking. JT Miller, can you can see him rubbing his hands together. His no-trade clause, no-movement kick, kicks in uh, on July 1st. So and I, I don't think he's going anywhere, but uh, you know, it becomes uh, you know, just a matter of fact that uh, he has the trade protection in place, that uh, at least he controls his future in that regard. So, um, yeah, and then on to July 1st, 9 o'clock uh, Pacific time, that window slides open, and I don't know if it's going to be a free agent frenzy in a flat cap I think we've come to condition ourselves a little bit that there is some restraint that uh, general managers are maybe getting a little smarter here as they go, although it only takes one to make a goofy offer. And there will be money. There is some money in the system, not a ton, but uh, you know we did see some teams make some moves to clear some space. And the Canucks with the buyout of OEL, I think it's you know they haven't been uh, they haven't improved this team through trade here. So I would have to think that. Uh, you know, the names that have been out there, I think the names remain, whether it's an Ian Cole, whether it's a Carson Soucy. I do think that they've got some interest in Nick Bugstad. That was another name that uh, we had mentioned. Um, you know, let's see how it goes. There'll probably be some surprises. Dakota Joshua was on nobody's radar at this time last year, and the Canucks did well 
you know, to land him as a, a free agent. So we'll see. But also when we talk about, uh, you know, the fact that time is ticking towards July 1st, you know, Noah Juleson still doesn't have a contract. Patrick Elvin name dropped him last week and we kind of thought, okay, that mean, it must mean that they're going to get something done with Noah Juleson. Like he's out hours away from hitting the open market. Uh, Kyle Burroughs, the Langley kid, it just, you know, has never felt like the Canucks really had a, a, a true appetite to bring him back. And so it kind of feels now like he's going to explore the market. Luke Shen, I know that there was talk that, you know, the Leafs are still circling around there, but nothing's been done. And so kind of get the feeling that Luke Shen might wind up going to the open market and, you know, that's going to be fascinating. I, I, I think people here in Vancouver, a lot of them would welcome Luke Shen back. Uh, but what's available to him on the open market? You know, what does he covet at this time of his career? Is it money? Is it term? Is it close to home with a young family? All those types of things. So uh, again, there will be movement. I don't know that we will qualify it as a full-on frenzy, but uh, there's going to be activity. There are some names out there. Uh, and, you know, when we said there wasn't much trade talk, we should get into because it affects the, the Canucks in the division. I love what the Detroit Red Wings did. I mean, look, the Edmonton Oilers, uh, they're up against it as well. They had to clear some space. Kyler Yamamoto on the Detroit Red Wings. Wings need guys that can put the puck in the net. And Clint Costin, like if he showed signs to me of becoming the player that, you know, I think people thought he could and should be. And I thought he had some nights in Edmonton. I think there were some consistency issues there. But, you know, a guy that can play with a little bit of an edge. Again, I, I think for you know, basically for free. I mean, Detroit just took those players from the Edmonton Oilers. And this is the downside of the flat cap. Not that I'm sitting here feeling sorry for the Oilers or any of our listeners should, but, you know, the Oilers have struggled for so long to find complimentary pieces for McDavid and Dreisaitl. And it kind of felt like they had a little bit of depth with Yamamoto and Clauston. And now both of those guys are gone. And so it's like, all right, back to square one for the Edmonton Oilers again, trying to find those pieces that you know, fit in financially, but also can keep up and produce if they're given the opportunity to play with some of the star power that they've got there in Edmonton. So I like that deal for the Detroit Red Wings. I think both of those guys can step in and play. Uh, and Chicago picks up Josh Bailey early on, and I thought, okay, maybe they're going to play, give him a year and play, but uh, sounds like they're going to buy him out. So that was just a uh, you know, it cost the Islanders a second rounder to get off the Bailey contract. And I don't know what Chicago plans with Corey Perry at this stage of his career. Uh, certainly been around the block many times, uh, 38 years of age, I think now. Don't know what's left in the tank necessarily. And I would have thought after, you know, playing in the Stanley Cup final and a couple of years, I would have thought that Corey Perry would have handpicked a contender and not go completely the other way. But uh, maybe they want a guy that, you know, has the the pedigree and the Stanley Cup rings and all those types of things to lead the way for Connor Bedard in his first year in the National Hockey League, but a bit of a curious move uh, in my mind for the Chicago Blackhawks to pick up Corey Perry at this late stage of his playing days. I see a bunch of fans on Twitter screaming about the Josh Bailey trade saying, why aren't the Canucks doing that with Connor Garland? Second rounder, man. And three years where Bailey just had the one left on his uh, deal as well. So yeah. Exactly. It's that term, man. Nobody wants any of that term right now. And speaking of term, like, what do you think is the sticking point with Luke Shen? I know Dolly Wall has been, been, you know, tracking it for us. And our guy in Toronto with Rinkwad Toronto at David Alter has been writing about it as well. Like, you know, Luke Shen's one of those guys that has been going one year contract after one year contract. I guess he got a two year with the Canucks a couple years ago, but it wasn't all that uh, lucrative in terms of uh, his salary. 
like what is what's the walkaway point if you will with uh Luke Shen like is it is it term is it if he wants over two million dollars like where, where are you at with Luke Shen yeah I, I think he he showed he can still play so uh, it's not so much the two years I mean the guy keeps himself in incredible physical shape um you know I think he's one of those guys that's learned sort of how to effectively manage his body uh, he's durable for the role that he plays you know, I think there's probably two years left in Luke Shen. So it, it, to me, that wouldn't be the sticking point. A second year, I think it would all be about the money at this point. And um, I think he has to understand too, like he can't be thinking he's going to break the bank on what is probably his final contract in the National Hockey League. But I also understand you want to maximize whatever you can get, whatever's there on the table for you. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know ultimately where that number is going to come in and what a team is willing to pay. But you know, the best case for scenario for Luke Shen would be to get a few teams in on some sort of bidding war. You know, if you can drive even a couple hundred thousand, it's all real money. It all goes into your account. And uh, again, he's not going to have too many more opportunities to, you know, broker a deal in the National Hockey League. So I hope it all works out for him. Again, if it com- if it turns out that he winds up with the Canucks, like they could do so much worse than Luke Shen. I, I just, to me, I don't know that there's the fit there um, but the Ethan Bear injury certainly, you know, complicates the matters on the right side. So, you know, there was also Frank Cervelli with a report that San Jose was in on Tyler Myers, which is interesting to me just because of that bonus that uh, has to be paid out. So, you know, I'm not sure that I'm prepared to go down that road just yet that uh, a Tyler Myers deal, man, would that throw complete flux into the right side of the bank? Like, you know, for all of his faults, I still am fully expecting that Tyler Myers is going to be here to start the season for the Vancouver Canucks. And if they were able to pull off a deal and move off that final year before the season begins, you got Philip Aronik essentially as your right side defenseman right now. And, and then what? So, you know, then it would be wide open. So, you know, I, I think the way it looks to me right here, right now, I think the priorities for the Canucks in unrestricted free agency on Saturday, and it doesn't have to be Saturday. I mean, they, they could sit back and sort of see where the dust falls on the first day, but left side penalty killing defenseman, and that's where we've covered off with Ian Cole or Carson Soucy, and I'm sure there's other options out there as well. Uh, but uh, left side penalty killer, and then a third line center that, you know, hopefully on an affordable ticket that can bring you some offense, but also win you some face-offs and probably have some penalty-killing chops as well. Like, I think those are, without a doubt, the priorities for the Vancouver Canucks. And then it's a question of, you know, nibbling around the fringes and maybe trying to unearth uh, another Dakota Joshua or two where, you know, a guy is close, needs an opportunity, hasn't had it somewhere else, but the Canucks see enough there uh, to bring him in. And, and I think that's the kind of direction that they're going to travel here in the first couple of days of free agency. I feel like fans should maybe... Stop thinking about Luke Shen. Yeah. I, I just, I wonder with him, it, you know, like you said, he's probably looking for a couple of years, but he's probably looking for to stay with a contender at this point as well. And uh, he did mention how much he loved playing in Toronto. And of course he's an original draft pick from them, but you know, maybe there's another team that liked what they saw from him in the playoffs and they should, because he was fantastic in the playoffs uh, playing alongside Morgan Riley uh, for the Leafs. The Canucks just released their development camp schedule. Starts on Sunday, and uh, there'll be a scrimmage on Wednesday out at Doug Mitchell Thunderbird Sports Center. Well, we'll see, uh, yeah, I mean, some real live hockey in the in the middle of summer. Um, I think temps are supposed to be up in the 30s next week, so it doesn't uh, necessarily feel like uh, hockey weather, but this is an annual thing now, and as you said, uh, yeah, it's all taking place at uh, 
Doug Mitchell, that's the big rink out at UBC. On a sessions Sunday, they're going to run through Wednesday. Roster is going to be announced soon, and uh, yeah, we'll be out there. Uh, we'll see if uh, we can get out. I don't know if we'll be out there every day, but uh, we'll certainly check it out. And uh, Tom Melander, among others, uh, get a look at uh, this crop. I would think that most of the guys in this crop of uh, the draft will uh, take part in their first uh, tryout camp, and we'll see too. Like you know, there's always a handful of guys that slid through the draft that uh, can be invited to these types of things as well. So you know, we'll see if there are any surprise names on it, but. Uh, uh, we'll be following along and uh, get that info when we see the roster. We'll certainly uh, post it on our socials, and I'm sure it'll be something that we can chew on on the next edition of the very popular Rinkwide Vancouver podcast. Yeah, extremely popular. Um, as I mentioned, we're, we're, we'll scale back, but not like over the next few days. Like there'll there'll be not news, <laughs> there'll be news, and we'll be right here with you as we progress into July and August. Of course, things will definitely slow down for everybody around the NHL, but uh, but we'll, we'll be with you. Uh, throughout the start of free agency and of course we'll have another pod tomorrow too uh, we'll talk to our buddy patrick johnston from the province get his thoughts on the uh, draft and then of course uh, where he thinks the canucks are going to head uh, with free agency as well but so a busy few days ahead here for us but then yeah at some point we'll be able to put our feet up a little bit but uh yeah, I mean, listen, this is an exciting time, I think, if you're a Canucks fan, an exciting time if you're an NHL fan. I mean, everybody loves free agency. I, I think this might be interesting this time around because it might not be the frenzy that we're looking at, and maybe we didn't get the trades that we wanted over over the draft, but maybe the trades are still coming because everybody wants to clean out or clear out cap space more than anything else right now, and these teams that are bottoming out, they're strictly bottoming out. Like They just they want to get out from underneath guys, uh, teams that are, are, you know, in the rebuild right now are willing to take on other contracts, willing to take on money. We'll see if the Canucks can move some of those forwards that they have, some of those wingers that they have, but I'm reluctant. I, don't, I think we'll be starting the season next year with Brock Besser and Connor Garland as Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, it certainly feels like that. The fact that they survived through this draft and we've spent so much of the offseason uh, mentioning those two names and yet there they are still front and center on the Vancouver Canucks roster, at least for the time being. So, uh, yeah, I think so, and, and I, you know, that's where I I expected a little bit more roster churn after the OEL buyout. I just felt like, okay, you know, they weren't doing that just for fun. That they kind of had some steps lined up in their head, and maybe they still do. But um, that was two weeks ago. Like two weeks ago, tomorrow was the buyout, and we haven't seen another shoe drop there. So I am a little surprised in that regard. But they are positioned. They've got some money to spend now heading, in. and they again. I know what Patrick Ravine said last week about Tanner Pearson, hopefully training camp, but they would have a better sense about Pearson and Tucker Pullman and long-term injury and all that kind of stuff. And so they'd have a, a much better realization of the actual money that they've got to spend. And you know what? Maybe they shouldn't spend to the dime when it comes to the cap. Like maybe there's a lesson in everything that this organization has been through the last little while that uh, you want to keep a little bit of wriggle room there at the top just in case. Well, maybe they want to place it down on Joey Chestnut, J-Pat, because the Nathan's <laughs> Hot Dog Eating Contest ah, yes. is coming up on Independence Day. And we've got early lines right now. So this is what I was talking about. The men's outright winner. Boy, you're going to put some scratch down if you uh, think Joey Chestnut's going to win. If you want to win some money off his back, he's at minus 5,000. How the- does he keep doing it? Like, how right? hasn't he moved on to like, the Champions Tour? Or, how like- does he still have a colon? I don't know. <laughs> Is Kobayashi still in it? Is he still on the... I don't see his name on the list, oh, okay. so no. Yeah, Maybe he's retired or... or- on. I-, <laughs> I guess the second favorite is a guy named Jeffrey Esper. 
Oh, he's, well, he's at my plus guy 1,000. And he, without the win, like they even have odds winner without Joey Chestnut. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Gregory Esper at minus 275. I find that just absolutely disgusting. The fact that they're dipping them in water. Yeah, that's the key, apparently. Oh, man. There's just, I think I would throw up watching that. So. Anyway, uh, see if you want to make some money off the back of Joey Chestnut, you are going to have to lay down a lot of scratch at minus 5,000. I'm, I'm curious to see if Bodog's going to put up some free agent uh, uh, lines as well. You know, maybe see, maybe teams, uh, I don't know, be creative with it. But right now, the only thing I can see in hockey, we can bet on New Zealand and Australian leagues. And, and I don't think you and I are very uh, up on that just yet. But, you know, maybe we'll take the off season and do a new pod next year. <laughs> All right, buddy. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow. And as I mentioned, we'll be busy throughout the weekend with you guys. Uh, Stay on top of our socials as well as we'll have some videos coming out too to cover NHL free agency. But the NHL draft in the books for another year. And so is this podcast for today. This has been another edition of the Rinkwide Vancouver Podcast presented by Bodog for Jeff Patterson. I'm Andrew Wadden. Remember, Rinkwide is the show. (laughs) 